Thank you. You may be seated. Man, it's so exciting to be here today. Uh, I come here and, and I hear Marty say, Pastor Larry. And I think, what? Really? Is that really happened? Uh, man, I just, uh, it's exciting to be your lead pastor. And that's very new for us, obviously. But we're excited about how God has worked and what God is doing and how we see the days ahead of us that God wants to work in great ways in and through us. If you have your Bible today, pull that out. Maybe an iPhone or iPad, wherever you pull up the Word. But today we're looking at at Matthew chapter 13. And we're looking at just a couple of verses in Matthew chapter 13. Actually, we're looking at verses 31 and 32. And we'll talk about these verses and what it relates to the fact that we are thankful people. Thankful for all that God is doing and all that God has done. Thankful for the blessings that he has given to us. But most important, for the very kingdom of God itself. Because that's where we begin to see the shape of all that we are. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus has been teaching in parables, and he teaches the disciples about the kingdom of God. You see, the disciples really believed that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to come and establish a rule on earth, and they believed that his rule on earth would allow them, as his disciples and the Jewish people, to gain control again, to be in power, and to just be able to be the nation that they were. That was their thinking, that it was all about the earthly kingdom. It was all about what they had and who they were. Now, we get in that same boat sometimes. You know, we think it's all about our life and what's going on around us and what we have or what we don't have or how much we don't have or how much we have, all those things that, that are very earthly focused. And that's where the disciples were when you would look back. If you look back in chapter 11 and 12, they were going through all these things. It was all about the physical, all about the here and now. Well, Jesus begins to change that. Here in, here in chapter 13, he begins to, to help the disciples and us change that focus to the kingdom of God. What God is doing in his kingdom, who God is in eternity, not in the physical here and now. Now, God is still at working in the here and now. There's no question about that. He set up the church for the here and now. He set up the church to be to the outpost of the gospel. He did all those things. But his focus is to help us understand the kingdom. And today I want us to uh, look at a couple of things. First of all, I want us to look at the fact that we are thankful that we, are, we see the characteristics of his kingdom. So if we can see the characteristics of his kingdom, it changes our perspective. We begin to be thankful for all that God is doing, not just in our lives or not in what we have or what we don't have, but in who he is and how he works. So as we look at all the parables in Matthew chapter 13, and there are several of them, uh, today I've chosen just uh, one of those and a couple of verses that really represent all of them. I wish we had time to go through all of them because they're, they're all a little distinctive in what he tells them. But there are some characteristics that come out in these parables, and I want to talk about those for a few moments. Now, if you have your Bible, we'll read these two verses, and then we'll kind of look at them in relationship to being thankful for the characteristics of his kingdom. In verse 31, it says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes like a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches." Well, I want us to look at this passage of Scripture and really begin to, to flesh out what he talks to us about being a part of the kingdom. 
What is it to say that we are in the kingdom? What was Jesus expressing about the characteristics of the kingdom that make all the difference to us? In this parable, he tells us that there is a man who is going out to sow the mustard seed. Now, the man that he refers to in the parables most often is Christ himself. He is the one who is making the impact. He is the one who is going out to share the seed. He is the one who is doing the work of the gospel. Now, we know we're going to participate in that. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. But the focus is that we are giving thanks to the kingdom because of who Christ is. Matter of fact, we understand that he is the one who is the righteous king. So a kingdom that has a righteous king. That's the first thing we see from the parables, that Jesus is the righteous king for us. There's a couple of scriptures that I've listed. I'll I'll read actually the one from Revelation, because in this Revelation passage, he says, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Did you hear those words? The kingdom of the world. So he has moved us from the idea of the the physical, which we oftentimes get caught in, to be able to change our perspective to the kingdom of the world is now his kingdom. He is at work. He is at work in your life. He is at work through you. And the kingdom of God then is the focus of this righteous king who has become the righteous one. Why is that important? Because the Bible says that we are not righteous. There is none righteous, no, not one person. And so if we are not right, which means we are not perfect, we cannot have eternal life. We cannot be a part of the kingdom of God. But in this passage, he tells us because he is the righteous king, and he is the one who has done the work for us. He is the one in his righteousness. We become righteous ones. We become heirs of his righteousness. And because of that, we are able to enter into all the things of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, salvation, not because of who we are or what we do or don't do, but because of the righteous king that has already done the work. It is his kingdom. He has died on the cross that we might be saved. He has died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. But the resurrection of that, that he tells us in that revelation passage, that he is raised from the dead in order to become your righteous king. Now that says everything for us because it puts us as subjects inside his kingdom. It allows us to see who he is and we are thankful for all the things we have or don't have And we change our perspective and say, those things aren't as important as being a part of the kingdom of God. What God is doing as his righteousness as the king. Because he says, the man, this man, this righteous king is going forth. Second thing I want us to see in this passage is that this kingdom that is alive. It's an alive kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sown in the fields, and it becomes the smallest thing, but it becomes alive in the fact that it gives life. Now, John chapter 10, verse 10 says that he has come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Now, sometimes we think about abundance is the amount of things that we have or the amount of what's around us. And the idea is that we have all of life, the fullness of life that's brought about because this man, the righteous king, has planted the seed. 
Now, the parables may give us a different understanding of the seed. Sometimes it's considered the gospel, the word, and some different things like that. But in this case, he's talking about the righteous king, get this, the righteous king becoming the seed himself. Because you see, it was when Jesus died and was buried in the tomb, when he rose from the dead, that seed for the new man, the new Adam, became alive. And we get to take part of that in his kingdom. So Jesus in this parable says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It is about a, a man who goes and, and sows a seed. It is a man who goes out to be able to do the work. So life comes out of that. And your life as a follower of Christ, your life as a believer becomes vital to the kingdom of God because he has already paid the price and risen from the dead to give you life. When I was a kid in eastern Kentucky, we, we had a garden uh, we had a farm. Man, we had like a 400-acre farm. Now, 398 acres was the mountainside, and we did nothing on that 398 acres, right? But on two acres, that's where the house was and the well and everything else and a little garden that we had that where we raised most of our food or a lot of our food. And I remember during the springtime, we would have to uh, get ready to do the planting, right? And so we planted a lot of potatoes. Matter of fact, uh, we had potatoes at every meal when I was a kid. So when we got married, I said, Elizabeth, don't make mashed potatoes. I, I didn't want ever have. And she was very faithful to that. Matter of fact, our kids love mashed potatoes because they never had them at home. Because I had them all the time. Because we had potatoes. But I remember going out in the field and having to plow the field. We usually, we didn't have a tractor. So we'd have to get somebody to come and maybe turn the field. Or uh, early days, they would actually be still in Eastern Kentucky. They would be guys with mules that would come along and, you know, plow up the field and get it ready. And then we'd have to make the rows, right? Well, the row usually was made by me. I was the row maker because I had this little plow and it had a little, a little thing on the bottom of it and you stand behind it and just push it. I saw one the other day in the antique store and I thought maybe, maybe I should buy that. And I thought, no, those are horrible memories. I don't, I don't even want one of those things in my house. Uh, but that's what we did. And so then we would plant the potatoes, right? You would take the potato and then you would cut it uh, and you would get the eye of the potato, a little white thing that sticks up as the eye, and you'd plant that in the ground, and we just have rows of potatoes. Now, that was great for planting. The worst part came when they, it was harvest time, and we had to dig the potatoes. I was like, you got to be kidding. i got to dig all these, because there were just so many of them, because in that little, that little potato would sprout, and it would grow, and it would multiply. Now, I'm not a, a botanist. I don't know how to do all that. I don't know how all that works. I just know that it does. And I know there's life inside that. And I know that when Jesus died and was in that tomb, there became life inside that. And he rose from the dead so that us, we might be able to know that we have a righteous king who has conquered death for us. And that makes all the difference in our life. So when we talk about this verse and the fact that the kingdom is alive and Jesus talks about the alive kingdom, our thanksgiving is because we have a kingdom that we're a part of. That's alive, that's not going away, that's real, that people need to hear that they too can have life in the kingdom. Jesus goes on to say, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took, sowed the field and the grain, as the smallest of all the seeds, but when it was grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and became like a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. A kingdom that is providing rest. 
And sometimes that's what we need from the stuff that's around us. We need that from the day-to-day grind. We need that from the difficulties of life. We need that from the diseases that we face. We need that from the heartbreak that comes into our life. We, we need rest. And here in this parable, Jesus helps us to understand that he is the one who's provided that rest for us. He is, the, he is the one where we find that rest. Remember when he said, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I'm going to give you rest. Well, here he gives this principle that's so important for us because it says that he's providing rest for us. And he does it by telling us that when this mustard seed has grown up to be the, the largest in the garden, that there the birds come and make nest in that. And the word that he uses in the New Testament is the idea that they actually come and resign, not just perch. Some of your translation may say that the birds come and perch there. They, they sit there, they stay there. But in the text, the Greek text is talking about the idea that they make their nest there. They stay right where they are. Now, I don't know if you are like us, but there are times when we've had birds that come and made their nest on their little front porch, you know, by the light. They'll be right there in the light, and they just build their nest, and you can watch them do that, and you can watch them put it together because for them, it's that permanent place. It's where they're going to be. It's where they're making nests. They find their rest there. They find protection there. They find the fact that they can be at home in that nest, and that's really what he is saying to us. That our thanksgiving is not for the home around us today. Oh, we can be thankful for that. Don't miss that. That we can be thankful for everything because we have nothing as if not for the Lord. But the greatest thanksgiving we have is for the kingdom of God, for eternity, for the world that he has provided and all the things that he has provided for us who are his followers. Now, the most difficult thing about that is that there are those around us who are not his followers and they do not have his rest And they do not know his peace. And it's on us as followers to be able to share that because the characteristic of the kingdom that we live out of as we know that he provides rest for us. And the last thing of this part is a kingdom that is a growing kingdom. A growing kingdom that he has designed. He talks about about this little mustard seed that some would say, well, he missed it there. It's not the smallest of all seeds. It's not the smallest of everything that he's done. But it's grown into this large plant in the garden. This large plant that is growing. And Jesus, Jesus connects that to the understanding that this plant is like the kingdom, like the church. It started small, and there's growth inside the smallness of, of what he's doing. There's growth inside all the things that he is, that is happening in our lives. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 6, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God, God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now the one who plants and the one who waters are equal, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are co-laborers with God. We are God's co-laborers. You are God's field. That's what he says to us. We are God's co-laborers. You are God's field. So if we begin to understand the parables that Jesus is talking about here, it is a kingdom that is growing. This this mustard seed tree that some would say, well, mustard seed doesn't grow into trees. Well, that's part of the parable. Part of the parable is the unnatural ability of a mustard seed to become a tree. 
the unnatural understanding that the church is the outgrowth of the kingdom of God. It's just not natural how it works sometimes. It's not natural what God does. It's not natural that we see the kingdom of God growing, not just in the area where Jesus was, but now all over the world where we see the kingdom of God, right here in southern Indiana where we've been seeing people who are coming together to worship. Because the kingdom of God has come. Because the kingdom of God is what he tells us in that growth, that ability to be rooted in Christ Jesus. And that's, that's a huge part of this. Because when you look at this parable, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, but he's talking about himself. He's talking about who he is. He is the one who gives life because he is the seed. He is the one who is the righteous king. He is the one who provides rest. He is the one who who's we are rooted in so that we may grow in our lives. That's where we find our foundation. Now quickly, let's move to the second part of this that would say we are thankful that he calls us to be a part of the building of his kingdom. That last verse in Corinthians says that we are co-workers with him. He has called us to be part of the kingdom work, part of the work that happens. So what are the characteristics of us who do that? Kingdom people. Kingdom people who are focused on saying we want to be a part of what God is doing. Well, first of all, I would say by allowing the passion of your life to drive you. By allowing the passion of your life to drive you. Now, ultimately, the passion of our life should be Christ. It should be who he is in us. That's ultimately the passion. But I know that each of us are gifted. Each of us has things that God has, has gifted us with, that has given us talents to do, that is allowing us to do things. And those things become our passion, right? Our, our thoughts become our passion. What one, and that's what I'm talking about here. The characteristics in building the kingdom is how God has shaped us, each of us, so that the passion that he has given you is a passion that you're able to take out into the world around us that drives us. I'm going to use George Fox, who's sitting right down here. He may be asleep. I don't know. I can't see his eyes. I don't think he is. Uh, but George has been this week with the disaster relief team down in Florida, and we hope that days to come, that as a church, we'll be a part of helping in that. Now, I've been around George a little bit, not a lot, but I know that he has a passion to help people through disaster relief. That's his passion. That's what he talks about. That's why he spends time doing it. That's why he is on it, constantly thinking about it. All of us have those different passions that drive us. For what purpose? For the building of the kingdom. What is the kingdom? It's getting out the gospel of Christ. It's being able to see who he is. Now, how do we do that? By allowing the power of your life to abide in you. What is the power of your life? The power of our life is not our abilities. It's not our strength. It's not who we are or what we know. The power of our life is the Holy Spirit in us. That's the power of our life. The power of our life was what the Spirit of God is doing in us and through us to help us with our passions, to drive us to do what God has called us to do. The Holy Spirit that convicts us the Holy Spirit that allows us to see our sin and our brokenness. The Holy Spirit that gives us comfort when we need it. The Holy Spirit that shows us who Christ is in us. That's the kind of, that's the kind of power that we have to have in order to let the passion of God drive us. Third, by allowing the people in your life to confide in you. By allowing the people in your life to confide in you. Because see, all of us are influencers. 
All of us have neighbors. All of us have coworkers. All of us have friends. All of us have family. All of us have uh, people around us all the time. We're getting ready to go into Christmas season. Some of those people you need to, to influence by inviting them to a service here or Christmas Eve and all the things. But your role inside that, God has placed you in a place so that you might be an influencer. We're thankful for the homes that we have. And we oftentimes think we chose those places that God, you know, just allowed us to choose this great house that we live in. Might it be that God put you there intentionally because your neighbors need Jesus, because the people across the street need Christ, and he's put you there not because you thought it was a great house, maybe a great house, but he puts you there for purpose, for intention, so that people around you, maybe you think the same way at work. Yeah, God has given me a great job, or God has given me a lousy job. I hate this place. But maybe God has you there on purpose. Maybe he has you there for a person beside you who, who needs to be encouraged, who needs to hear the gospel, who needs to know that their life is important and they can have purpose in Christ. Maybe God has you there just for that reason. But unless we change our perspective... Unless we begin to think it's not just about me, it's about what God is doing in the kingdom, and God is doing work that I don't even understand. Unless we change that perspective, we'll get so caught up in ourselves that we'll miss what God might be doing. Now, the same thing goes by we allowing the peace in your life to strive in you. Now, put those together because I think the peace in our life really comes out of our salvation, right? It comes that when we know Christ, peace comes into our hearts, into our lives, I said this the first hour, and I'll say it here, though, though I'm on shaky ground. <laughs> because sometimes there's a lot of people who go through life who call themselves believers, and they never have peace. And I always wonder about that. I always say, how can you go through life when you have no peace at all, but yet you say you're, you're a follower of Christ? Biblically, those two things don't match up. Do you know that? You can't go through life and say, man, my life is always not at peace with God. Everything's a problem. Everything's an issue. And I have no peace in my life. But oh, I'm saved. Because in biblically, those things don't match up. Because when I'm saved, now I'm not saying that everything's going to go perfect. That we're not going to have times where, man, we, we need peace. But when peace overcomes us, when peace is striving in us, that comes out of our salvation... But I believe it's about perspective. I believe it's about when we begin to thank God for who he is and for his kingdom and what he's doing based on my needs and my wants and what I think. A shifting of seeing the kingdom of heaven. And then last, by allowing the principles of life, the principles of your life to guide you. And where do you get those principles from? Well, I think from God's word. I think the word of God is what we have to have that guides us. I think we have to spend daily in God's word. I think we have to look at it, to read it. Uh, this week I was talking to a man and we were praying together. And so what I simply did is pull out a piece of paper and wrote a couple of verses on a piece of paper. Because I, I said to him, now you, you may know these verses and they might not even be new to you. But when you're, when you're in this place of really struggling, just look at them and read them. Say them out loud. Don't try to memorize them. Just read them because put them in your face because it's God's word that's alive. It's God's word that guides us. Well, today God's word may be guiding you through his spirit to salvation. And you may be here and you may say, I have never trusted Christ. You know, the Bible says to us that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, he's been raised from the dead, you can be saved. 
Maybe today you need to be saved. But for many of us in this room, it's just a matter of life-changing perspective. That our perspective of life begins to shift away. Oh, we know it. We've heard it. We've read it. We've heard pastors preach about it. But doing it is so hard. It's just so stinking hard sometimes to say, Lord, change my perspective in the moment and let your principles guide me because I believe in you. I believe wholeheartedly in who you are. Lord, I want to walk with you. I want your kingdom to be real in this place by the power of your spirit to do things I can't think or imagine, not because of who I am, but because of who you are.